All right, so we're going to talk about delivery for a few minutes. Um, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of rely on uh, Daniel and Kyle on a few things because they went to a famous seminary, and I want to use their seminary experience as an illustration, an example of deficiencies in... <laughs> In homiletics. All right. So I'm only, I'm only partially joking. Um, typically, in, in all seriousness, um, the, the discipline that we call homiletics is, is the art and science of preaching. And most of the time in seminaries, uh, the homiletics department is, is oftentimes not very good. Um, oftentimes they have quite mediocre preachers teaching in homiletics, which is really, um, to me, it's somewhat uh, tragic. Uh, also, there's another major lack in, in a lot of seminary education, and that is there is typically no bridge class between exegesis and homiletics. So it's almost like you have two separate disciplines. You have your languages and your exegesis and Bible interpretation over here, and then you have preaching over here. And there's very little effort to try to make a connection between what you do in the text and how you preach a sermon. All right? So, um, so I think that that has to be remedied. So once you, once you work through the methodology of sermon preparation, then you have to talk about delivery. Okay? Now, I would also say that delivery is typically not talked about very much. Okay? So who was your homiletics teacher? Oh, we rotated through different ones. But I had one, the Alex oh, okay. Actually, he's quite good. He's good. He's quite good. Um, but... How much time did you spend on the delivery of a sermon? Not much. Okay. I mean, we, you could have a seminary with, you preach six times? Four sermons. Okay. And, and they rubber stamp you ready to go. Okay. Not. Right, right. Right. Yeah, so, so delivery is... Obviously, the idea of delivery relates primarily to preaching, but it's also relevant to other um, forms of communicating the word. So I don't, don't think of delivery just simply as what takes place behind a pulpit, okay? That's the primary consideration, but think of your other avenues, so leading a Bible study or, you know, preaching in chapel at high school or whatever, all right? Um, delivery is something that is that is incredibly important and should not be ignored when you're thinking about sermons or Bible lessons because there is something about delivery that 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 communicates more than just how animated the guy is okay so there's a sort of a contemporary idea you look at old books on preaching, and they talk about delivery. Okay, in fact, the most famous old book, um, John A. Broadus, is uh, the preparation and delivery of sermons. Okay? He has a whole section on delivery, but there's a contemporary idea that that your delivery is that's that's it just is what it is. It's just your it's just your style. It doesn't don't don't even you know think too much about it. Um, Certainly don't put any energy or effort into trying to improve it. It just is what it is because you are who you are. Okay? And I want to say that, that, that I don't think that that's true. Um, I think that there's something about delivery that should really catch our attention. I think delivery should be a discipline that is, um, that's worked on like your golf swing. Okay? So... Eddie is probably the best golfer in this room. Okay. Vic is 
a distant second. If, if you need to work on something in your golf swing, is the best place right in the middle of a game? Definitely not. If, you, if, you are, if you've got a bad swing, the time to fix it is not while you're playing. When's the time to fix it? Every time you're not playing, right. Yeah, so um, the best time to fix your swing is to go out on the range or, right, you're, or to get advice or whatever. It's not while you're... So you can't fix delivery in the middle of, of a sermon. All right? If you are trying to fix something while you're preaching, um, you're not actually thinking about what you're supposed to be talking about all right but that doesn't mean that there's not effort that you need to put into it all right Um, the delivery of a sermon or a bible message communicates numerous truths none of which are inconsequential to the message so paul says in second corinthians 4 13 we believed and thus we spoke okay so Let me hear from you guys. What what is it about delivery that sort of makes you think ah, this is it's important? Yes. I think as a representative of God, you should be trying to represent Him correctly by keeping people engaged and 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 being a convincing preacher. Okay, so engagement and persuasion yeah. delivery impacts. That would you guys say that that's generally true? Okay. Conviction. Okay. Conviction. Um, is it possible to have a style of delivery that betrays um, lack of conviction? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Somebody else had their. Okay, so delivery would would change on on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And and. Yeah, I'm thinking of delivery probably in a broader way than than that. I'm talking about what we might uh, call, in, in a sense, the, the, the physical act of communication, all right? Um, so, Fred, you had your hand up. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I think that uh, even you have referred back to your basic uh, logic, and then you transition into, like, a rhetoric, and um, all, at, all at the same time, you're, you're um, basing your arguments or the presentation of God's truth, you almost have to go back to your logic um, and base your premises. Okay, so but but how does that relate? So I can see that as being content, flow, connection. How does that relate to delivery? Okay, so by the way, within classical education, rhetoric would include delivery. Okay, Bob. That you understand and believe what you're saying. Okay, going back to uh, to conviction. All right, yeah, Daniel. So, obviously, a big one's going to be the use of the voice, mm. both in the pacing as well as volume variation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
it doesn't emphasize what I want to emphasize. Okay. So delivery impacts emphasis. Yep. Okay. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. All right. Anybody else? Yeah, Johnny. Okay. Yeah. Eye contact is most definitely a, um, a, a part of delivery. There's, there's no doubt about it. And eye contact actually communicates something other than just making eye contact. Seriously. You know, the, um, I, I had a prof said, look at people's foreheads. Okay. That is the stupidest thing ever. I'm not preaching to foreheads. Okay. Some of you have more to preach to than others. But uh, <laughs> more real estate up there. But um, that's, that's ridiculous. You're preaching to souls. By the way, delivery communicates how I view the audience. Okay. If, um, if I'm giving a paper at the Evangelical Theological Society, I can stand there and just read it. Okay. If I'm preaching, there's something that better be communicated of the importance of this. Yeah, Heiko. I, I might be completely off topic, but um, part of the delivery is also that the person who delivers the message makes sure that whatever is being delivered is understandable. Okay. So, like, I, I make sure that I'm not so complicated in my thought process that I'm the only one who understands what I'm trying to say. Because if I deliver a message, the recipient of that message has to be able to comprehend what I'm trying okay, to say. Okay, so, so does delivery, we'll ask it this way, so does delivery impact intelligibility? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Now, by the way, I want to just say there are exceptions to to all of this. There's there's a level of subjectivity. All right. Um, so, in in my estimation, um, one of the most famous, well known, well respected, and rightfully so preachers of our generation is John MacArthur, and I think that he has one of the most paltry delivery styles ever. Poor, pathetic. He basically just stands there and 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 almost monotone, <coughs> right? Um, so I want to say there are exceptions. I'll listen to MacArthur. I'll benefit from MacArthur, but I will also say that I find there are people far more engaging than MacArthur. Okay, he has a very he, he has, <laughs> he's very static way of, of communicating. He just, yeah. You know, the pulpit em- magically emerges, right? And then, you know, and he just walks up and just, you know. All right. So um, another introductory point is that we preach, we speak in the sight of God. So this is, Paul, Paul makes this point twice in Second Corinthians. Once in chapter 2, once in chapter 12. And so somebody said earlier that it really does reflect on uh, the fact that you are you are sent from God to declare a message, and there, the uh, the 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 act of delivery needs to reflect that you understand you have an audience of one. Okay, mm. so is there is there an element of delivery where I actually? reflect the idea that I realize I'm going to give an account to God. Can that be can that be exhibited in the way the sermon's delivered? The answer is yes. Yes. We speak uh we preach Christ in the sight of God. Right? That's uh, A.W. Tozer said a generation ago, a man cannot be both a prophet and a clown. So the guy that gets up there that thinks that he needs to warm his audience up with, you know, 10 minutes of jokes is actually betraying something about what he's being called to do. Okay. 
Uh, one last thing, uh, how we deliver the message or the lesson can either enhance the message or detract, which means it can either glorify God or not, right? So we're to do all things decently and in order. We're to do all things for edification. That means the way that you deliver the message. Okay? The, the delivery needs to be for edification, for the glory of God. Okay, okay so let's talk about some, some principles here. Um, the first principle is, I love this, by the way, this is the best, um, <laughs> forget yourself, be yourself. Okay? John Broadus, above all, be yourself. Okay? In other words, don't try to be MacArthur. Don't try to be, you know, Steve Lawson. Okay? Don't try to be R.C. Sproul. I saw R.C. Sproul one time preaching, and you know, Sproul was incredibly animated in his preaching. And he leans forward, and a big old uh, ball of drool just goes right out of his mouth as he leans forward. And without skipping a beat, he wipes it off and kept right on going. Okay? That's forget yourself, be yourself. <laughs> Speak out with freedom and earnestness what you think and feel. Better a th- listen to listen to Broadus. Better a thousand faults than through the dread of faults to be tame. Some of the most useful preachers, men in a true and highest sense eloquent, have had grave defects of manner. Habitually correct faults as far as possible, but whether the voice and the action be good or bad, if there is something in you to say, speak it out, and by all means, let there be no affectation or artificiality. Forget yourself, be yourself. If you have something to say, say it, and say it like you mean it. Okay. All right, number two... Now, some of these are going to sound as if there's some tension here, and there is. Be conscious of your physical condition, appearance, and deportment. Now, deportment's an old word. What do I mean by deportment? Any old people who use old words? Vic? Oh, thanks, Johnny. Yes, deportment, yes, yeah, you kick him out of the country. Good, good. Glad Jesse's here. <laughs> deportment, Vic? Okay. You were homeschooled, deportment. The way you conduct yourself. The way you conduct yourself, yeah. That's that simple. So this is Paul in Second Corinthians 6. He says, he says, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. All right? So so the the principle here is um, you have to be conscious enough. So in light of forget yourself, be yourself, you still have to be conscious enough that you don't want to distract from the message. You, you don't want to discredit the message. You don't want to actually be the kind of distraction that, um, that causes people to forget what you're saying because they're too fixed on X. Okay? So I'm going to get a little personal here, but just so on physical condition. Okay. Um, I want to be sensitive, but I also want to be truthful. Okay. Um, so when we were in Latvia, Roger, Roger might be the only person that was in Latvia. Um, there was a pastor of the uh, Madwana Baptist Church who seriously was probably almost 500 pounds. Okay. Um, it affected his ability to be able to move, to be able to preach. 
Um, but was that a distraction too? Yeah. Yeah. So physical conditions. So Al Martin used to say it like this. Don't let yourself go in such a way that your physical appearance is a fundamental denial of the uh, a fundamental repudiation of the denial of uh, gospel of self-denial. Okay. So in other words, don't don't stand up there and, you know, be the guy who obviously goes to Baskin Robbins way too much. Is that is that nitpicky? Mm-mm. Um, what about getting up and having being completely disheveled and looking like you slept in that shirt? Right. Okay. It, these things are are actually distractions that take away from the message. Um, so there <laughs> you you have to have some sense of self awareness at that at that point right okay um my dad called me one day he says hey i tried this new church today i'm I, i'm oh which one he tells me i guess well what what'd you think he goes ah he says he says i i couldn't concentrate on the sermon I said, well, why? And he says, the the pastor was totally bald except for this little tuft of hair that he had right in the middle of his, the top of his head. (laughs) And I'm like, you couldn't get past that, huh? (laughs) All right, well, okay, guess what? You have to take into consideration whether or not you have something that is going to be an impediment for people that they can't get past. Okay? So the, uh, the, the, whole, the whole idea of deportment, demeanor, physical action, um, by the way, that, that comes back to um, being a reflection of the soul. You, you understand de- deportment and demeanor uh, can be reflections of the soul. Think of Cain. What does God say to Cain in Genesis 4? And well, before that, before he kills, why is your countenance fallen? Okay. So his countenance was fallen reflecting what? Yeah, actually harboring a sinful anger towards his, towards his brother. So the idea of deportment, so years ago, um, had somebody tell me, you don't, you don't smile when you preach. And I didn't look at that person and say, well, what do you think, I'm a clown? Or what do you think I'm trying to... You know what? Actually, that was a good criticism. If I look angry or I sound angry, or if I look angry and sound angry while I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. Right? Or I'm talking about the love of the brethren. And I look like I hate everybody. I mean, those things, those things actually need to be taken into, into serious consideration. All right? Um, try to avoid distracting mannerisms. Now, some mannerisms are going to be unique to your own style as you forget yourself, be yourself. But other mannerisms are just going to be annoying. So what, what mannerisms have you found? And don't think about me particularly, but uh, <laughs> what, what mannerisms do you find actually distracting or annoying when it comes to preaching? <laughs> yes? Filler words, like, um, things like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes, filler words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Any other? Uh, so that's a that's a verbal mannerism, right? 
you got to be you got to be conscious of verbal mannerisms just as much as physical mannerisms. Monotone voice. Okay, monotone voice. Okay, that yeah, we'll we'll address that. But yeah, that's a verbal mannerism that is incredibly. I I, I think it's I think it actually to to preach God's word in a monotone voice is probably a sin. Hmm. Yeah, Johnny. So there was this one preacher that he's really, really good, but he moves around a lot. Like he does this, like a lot, and it's like really distracting. Shut up! Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And every time that you go up to the front of the pulpit, yes, I always think you're going to fall off somehow. <laughs> Ariel worries about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I won't do that ever again. Lack of eye contact when the preacher's head is too long, you know, kind of puts me in the mind frame of like, where is he? Okay. You know, I kind of just, I kind of. Yeah. So, is breaking eye contact for a prolonged period of time a mannerism? The answer is yes. And is it a distracting mannerism? I would say absolutely yes. So I've actually been doing one since we've been start since we've started. So I don't have my keys with me, but I have a little thing of the Vaseline, okay, for chap lips, and I've kept it in my pocket, and I keep twirling it, okay. You ever see a guy do that with his keys while he's up talking? That drives me crazy. Don't put anything in your pockets. If you have something in your pockets, guess what's going to happen? Your hand's going to gravitate there, right? By the way, putting your hands in your pockets is a bad habit while you're talking. Looks like you got to go to the bathroom. Okay. Okay. There are are lots of um, distracting mannerisms. That's why I empty my pockets anytime I go preach, because I know I will. Yeah. Yeah, all you have to do, I mean... It doesn't matter. One time I was preaching and I couldn't figure out. I had, uh, Roger might remember this. I, um, I kept fooling with my sleeve. And finally, I, I tried to, like, I unbuttoned it and there was a um, fabric softener that was, that was stuck <laughs> in my shirt while, while I was sleeping. Or pe- preaching, not while I was sleeping, while you were sleeping. Um, yeah, so avoid, avoid mannerism. So you know the best way to avoid distracting mannerisms is actually just have some people that you can ask, hey, when I was, you know, when I was leading Bible study the other night, was there anything that I was doing that was distracting? All right? Okay. Principle number three, communicate with the whole man, body, mind, affections. All right? So there's a, a book. It's called um, It's the Way You Say It. It's actually on elocution, which is lost art. She says, it's Carol Fleming, body, words, and voice must ideally communicate the same thing at the same time for the speaker to come across as professional, trustworthy, and appealing. Now, she's just talking about just public speaking. But I want to just ask you, if you're going to be delivering God's word in any way, Professional, trustworthy, and appealing does have some parallels for us, does it not? Okay. And so notice, body, words, and voice must ideally communicate the same thing at the same time. Okay. We used to joke when we'd go to the pastor's conference in, in Montville. There was a pastor, and... Um, his, he, he, he was absolutely monotone and his, his mouth was always turned downward like he was the saddest guy on the planet. And one day he gets up to lead in prayer and he says, Rejoice, brethren, the joy of the Lord is your strength. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, but I'm not feeling it right now, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, 
uh, let me just read just a couple of things. So what about the idea of, of, of earnestness, right? Of earnestness. Or if you prefer the word passion. Years ago, we had a couple come over, and I won't tell you what church they came from, but the guy had been there for many, many, many years. And he said, the the couple said to me, we love coming here. We love pastor so-and-so. We're just never actually sure that he believes what he's saying. So Gardner Spring, old Presbyterian, he says he, as the preacher, must feel his subject. It is as marvelous as it is mournful that the weighty and thrilling truths of God's word lose so much of their force from the little interest the preacher himself feels in his theme. George Whitfield was probably the most remarkable man in this respect whom the world has ever seen. Riches as discourses were, they do not compare with the discourses of some other preachers in richness of thought, but in intensity of feeling he had no equal. He enchained his auditory by his intense interest in his subject. A ship carpenter once remarked that he could usually build a ship from stem to stern during the sermon, but under Mr. Whitfield he could not lay a single plank. It is of themselves that ministers should frequently complain rather than their hearers. It is they who are cold and inanimate. No preacher can sustain the attention of his people unless he feels his subject, nor can he long sustain it unless he feels it deeply. If he would make others solemn, he himself must be solemn. He must have fellowship with the truths that he utters. He must preach as though he were under the eye of God. And as though his own soul were bound up in the souls of those who hear him. He must preach as though he were in sight of the cross. And heard the groans of the mighty sufferer of Calvary. As though the judgment were set and the books were opened. As though the sentences were about to be passed. Which decided the destinies of men. As though they had been looking into the pit of despair. As well as drawing aside the veil. And taking a look at unutterable glory. Spurgeon, yeah, that'll make you question whether you should ever even preach. So Spurgeon says, the world also will suffer, as well as the church, if we are not fervent. We cannot expect a gospel devoid of earnestness to have any effect upon the unconverted around us. The whole outside world receives serious danger from the cold-hearted preacher. He says, for it draws the same conclusion as the individual sinner. It perceives in it its listlessness. It gives its strength to its own transient objects and thinks itself wise for in so doing. For how could it be otherwise? If the prophet leaves his heart behind him when he professes to speak in the name of God, what can he expect but that the ungodly around him persuade themselves that there is nothing to his message and his commission is a farce? And so earnestness... Now, by the way, earnestness looks different in different people. All right? There's not just like one, oh, that's earnestness, or that's passion, or that's fervency. It's going to look different in different people, all right? Principle number four, avoid all affectation. You know the word affectation. It's the act of taking on or displaying an attitude or mode of behavior not natural to oneself nor genuinely felt, right? So, okay, so every time Joe Biden opens his mouth, it is, an, uh, it is uh, affectation. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, she's perfect, right? So it's, it's, it's affectation. It is something that's not genuine. So I remember um, years ago, you remember when Al Gore ran for president, okay? You guys remember that? Yeah, I know, you're just wee lads. And... So Al Gore was boring, right? He'd, and all of a sudden, he started coming out and in, in his speeches starts like 
giving this growling sound and kind of like throwing his shoulders forward in his speeches. Okay? Well, one of his handlers probably said, you're, you're too static. You, you need to get a little more earnest. Well, it just came across as what? It's just absolutely fake. Absolutely fake. So have you ever, have you ever heard a guy stand up and you just go, that sounds fake? Right? Okay. Sometimes it's with the, uh, with the voice. All of a sudden it's now the holy voice. Right? There, there's a number of ways that affectation can infect preaching. And so Spurgeon, he says, never aim at, uh, at effect after the man. <laughs> okay, I got to read this again. Never aim at effect after the manner of the climax makers, poetry quoters, hand- handkerchief manipulators, and bombast blowers. <laughs> Say it again. Never aim at effect after the manner of climax makers, poetry quoters, handkerchief manipulators, and bombast blowers. Far better for a man that he had never been born than that he should degrade a pulpit into a showbox to exhibit himself in. Number five, let all physical animation be natural and appropriate to the physical setting. Okay. So, so a, a cardinal sin is to premeditate a physical act or gesture. You know, note, you know, little note in the margin, weak point, pound pulpit, you know. Um, if, if, you, if you're premeditating gestures, they're going to come across Hammy, okay. Yes. Just flat out, just fake. If I'm thinking like, oh, at, at that point, step forward and raise your hand, right? All of your physical action needs to be natural to you, okay? Some people are more animated than other people. Right? It's just that's that. By the way, is just a matter of personality. Okay, um, some people are just more animated than others, but be natural, but also have it be appropriate for the for the context that you're in. If you you know, if I had a home Bible study, and we had my you know a, a half a dozen people in my living room, and I'm talking to them like I'm preaching to 350 people on a Sunday morning. People are going to be like, <laughs> right, right. So you have to have that that sense of your physical environment, okay, and you have to be natural. Number six, elocution. Use good pro- enunciation, pronunciation, and projection. Okay. Now, uh, tomorrow during the worship meeting, we're going to talk a little bit about elocution because it has to do with uh, reading and speaking in public, which includes praying and making announcements and all of that. But let me just say a few things about it here, and then we'll get on with Al. Um, mispronounced words, mumbling, being unintelligible actually distracts and does not edify. If people constantly are saying, what did he say? What did he say? That is, um, that's poor elocution. Now, we don't teach it in school, right? Well, they do here, but... Generally, it's not taught in school because public speaking typically is not a part of curriculum. There is, in a very real sense, the lost art of elocution. And so enunciating, uh, by the way, enunciating is, is, is a physical thing. 
that you can work on. Know what your weaknesses are. Am I a fast talker? Am I a slow talker? Do I trail off my words? Do I drop syllables? Those things are important. Then you have projection. You have to be heard. So we don't typically think like this because we're not typically um, speaking in public. But uh, So Fleming says, people who cannot command a space with their voice cannot fully utilize their authority or knowledge. By the way, that is, that is an important statement for preaching, reading scripture, uh, praying, if you can't command the space with your voice, you're not able to communicate with authority or communicate knowledge. Okay. So, one of the things that ends up being important is actually directing your voice. Okay. Directing your voice is a way of consciously trying to project it. So if I'm in a room like this, what do I want to make sure? I want to make sure that Fred can hear me. I don't worry about Vic because he can't hear anything. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to make sure Robert can hear me. And so in projecting my voice, what am I going to do? I'm actually going to make eye contact with Robert and, and at times speak directly as if I'm talking directly to him. Or to Roger, right? And so the idea of projecting your voice is is absolutely crucial. These things may seem relatively mundane, but if you get up there and you're trying to, you know, even if you're just reading scripture or something, and people cannot hear you, it is impossible for them to be edified. Intelligibility is a necessity for edification. Now, my, uh, I have a dear friend who has a very thick southern accent. And there are regional habits of speech. Okay. That in that region may not be a problem. But outside of that region, intelligibility goes down because of dropped syllables or trailing syllables or extra syllables, right? And so this is, this is actually an important part of preaching. Um, the old uh, McGuffey Reader has a huge section. Actually, one of the volumes of the McGuffey Reader series is on elocution. Gives you 80 pages of principles and then like 200 pages of exercises. Right? But we don't even think like that. And we should. The way you use your voice can edify or distract, which leads to the last thing, which is use a variety of tone, pace, and intensity. Okay? This is what Daniel was getting at a little earlier. So to, to vary your tone and your pace and intensity is really important. For what, what, Why would I care about that? By the way, you, you, just, you notice I just did it, right? Okay. Why should I care about why should I care about pace, tone, or intensity? Or why would I even care about that? Why? <laughs> it was a real question. It wasn't just an example. To, to hold the attention of your audience. Oh, don't you think? That variation 
in tone, pace, and intensity is one of the best ways to hold people's attention. Right? You, you want somebody to say, well, I, I can't believe you're done already. You don't want somebody saying, I thought that would never end. <laughs> somebody had... Yes, I, uh, for emphasis. Absolutely. Right? So, so what we're talking about on the variation ends up being very much a part of all of the stuff that we've kind of been talking about up to this point. And what if, you, what if personality-wise you are more of a, a monotone person? Can you fix that? You most certainly can fix it. You fix it by practice, right? But, I mean, what do you do? Like, okay, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to practice intensity and tone. (laughs) It seems like it's only fixed and degree. I mean, like, because you still have to be yourself. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so you can't just turn on somebody else. And so you, it can be fixed, but it's a relative degree that yeah. you turned up to. Right, right. Like the, the, the amount of fixing it is is going to, there, there are going to be limitations to what you can do. Okay, Heiko. To provide uh, full circle feedback on, on this class, um, would it be a good idea to maybe even uh, do a video and audio recording. Oh, yes. Not to put on Facebook. So, Mister Show, if I'm going to work on my golf swing, should I be able to see my golf swing? So that means I should record my golf swing. Yeah. Right. Does that help? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure, sure. Okay, all right. So, Al, do you, do you want to wait or you want to go? <laughs> okay, Daniel. So, one of the things that I think about with variety of pace is like, yeah, there's the essence of holding attention, but even in the illustration you gave where you were asking it, the way you said it, said it as well. Yeah. And there's times where you rev up into it and there's other times where you get quiet and you back away. Right. And it causes the listener to like yeah. lean forward. Lean and, uh, yeah. And yeah. similar with, and you do the same thing with movement. There's times where there's the side to side, but a lot of guys forget, and we've joked about it already a little bit, but like when you step forward, that's portraying something. Or there's times where like we, we both do it, mm-hmm. we step back. Yeah. And if you're talking to someone and they step forward or they step back, that says the thing they're saying also. Yes, yes. And here's here's <laughs> the thing to remember. All of that is 100% true. And all of that needs to be 100% natural. Yes. You cannot think, step back. Okay? It, it has to become a part of you. All right? Now, some people were blessed through ethnicity of being more animated. Okay? Let me just tell you, Dominicans are incredibly animated. (laughs) Italians, right? For the most part, pretty animated. What are the Italians known for? Yeah, Talking with their hands, right? Uh, what did you say? Spaghetti. Spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people, your Scandinavian types, you know, maybe not so much, right? But you have to, you, you have to, do you, do you feel the tension, though, of natural, be yourself, and yet you got to work on things, Right? Okay, so Big Al 
Here, these are evaluation sheets. Be kind. Just take one down, pass it around. <laughs> 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Okay, so here's, here's the thing to remember, Al, is that you seriously only have 15 minutes? I know you, brother. And okay, and here's here's the thing. Edify us, okay. Edify us. Yeah, there you go, Fred. They're over here breaking your stuff. Sorry, Fred. Oh, hang on a second. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I really am scared now. (laughs) And I'm never going to Bass and Rob's. (laughs) Could you turn to Titus 2.14, please? And if we could stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in uh, verse 11 through 14. This is God's infallible holy word. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So... Pick this particular text. Uh, just in this in this text, we we see uh, the <coughs> grace of God. In this text, we see the salvation of God. We also see the daunting task given to Titus to organize the churches in Crete. And as I was going through some some of my notes preparing, I, I came across some old notes of. Um, being an NSP with Brian and uh, on on the notes, Brian was going through Hebrew uh, Hebrews, the third chapter, um, and in the margin I wrote, Michael Ray, pray for him and a few more things, and I went back. This is in 2007. I was like, this man came up after Brian's uh, sermon. I said I didn't. I recognized it from juvenile hall because I had him in juvenile hall, and because you probably don't recognize me, but um, I was with the ju- juvenile hall there with you, and I said I didn't know you. I didn't know you're a Christian. You're a believer. He said, Yeah, yeah. He goes, But you'll. He said, uh, You'll probably not see me again because these guys are these guys are hypocrites. And I said, What, what do you mean? I said, Do you? Do you want to? Do you want to uh, see God's truths and be with God's people and encourage? Because yeah, but I, I think this is you know. And what Brian was preaching on was in Hebrews, that uh, uh, in chapter three he says, "Beware, take heart, lest you have an unbelieving heart, a pernicious, poisonous, pernicious heart of unbelief," and. The remedy to that was to encourage one another in the faith, and, and, and it build one up, one one up each other up in the faith. And um, I pictured Titus being in Crete and uh, being with a, a place that was really known for there was more than more than a few things that he was dealing with, and there was the the, the worship of Zeus and. 
uh, it seemed to me that uh, uh, what he was what he was revealing there was that he wasn't a believer. Um, he was not going to be encouraged. He was not going to. Uh, he probably wouldn't be in church again. And the reason we encourage one another is that so we don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And the sinfulness of sin and the and the deceitfulness of sin that Titus is to address in chapter one was multifaceted, in that the false teachers were rejecting the truth. They were habitually turning themselves and others away from God's truth embodied in the gospel. So there's a close connection with false teaching and <clears throat> and doctrine. So doctrine in in our our t- in the church. Uh, we see that there's a purity uh, there's regulations we adhere to in the inner purity of the regenerated heart Titus was to appoint regenerated men and to serve as church leaders to get back to the basics of the gospel so what is taught of grace in this text we find that grace redeems and I'd like to talk about four truths to examine here. First is God's grace appearing. God's grace has, has come bringing with him salvation and with this the foundation for godly live, living. Notice in verse 11, regeneration is rooted in the grace of God. It's God's action towards frail, needy sinners to deliver us and transform us. So it is God's grace appearing to man in the person of his son. The sound doctrine of grace will now be adorned and shown through Jesus Christ appearing, which is God's great compassion. These uh, false teachers claim to know God, but Paul was urging Titus to reject these evil men as they were... uh, Propagating non-moral external rights and regulations instead of adhering to the inner purity of the regenerated heart. So apparently in the church there were Gnosticizing Judeos whose professed Christians sought to infiltrate the churches with uh, misguided teachings. So on the, on the island of Crete you had uh, harbors of uh, uh, churches, the, the network of churches, I'm totally blowing this. <laughs> this is not, this is not how, what I wanted to do here. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, I just got to get in the flow here. Um, so anyway, uh, Titus is to appoint elders in the church and, and regenerate. There was men coming to the church and and, and Titus was, was there to um, bring organization, bring, bring the gospel, and go back to the gospel, the basics of the gospel. In verse 11, it says that the, the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And what we see here is, what we see is, I picture, I picture Simeon in the temple, and, and he's waiting for the Savior to appear. He's waiting for the, the Messiah to come, and and he, and he, and the Jesus' parents brings him to the temple, and Simeon holds little baby Jesus in his arms, and he says, "This, this now, Lord, I, let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord." And and we see that God's grace is just not an attribute, but it's a person. It's 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 divinity. It's t- it's an attribute of divinity, but it's divinity himself. So Jesus comes and he brings salvation, and we see him, we see salvation before our very eyes, staring right at us. He came to, to set the captives free. He came to bring us mercy. He came to bring us compassion. He came to show the world that he came to be with his people, to tabernacle with us. And what, is, what does he do? He brings us love. He brings us mercy. We are, as Pastor Daniel spoke Sunday, we're the mercied ones. We're the ones that, 
that he's bringing in to his church. And so, not only does God's grace come bringing us salvation, when God came, he brought the foundation for godly living. Notice in the first uh, in 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We see that that redemption there is rooted in the grace of God. It's God's action towards wicked men. It's God's action towards uh, the needy, the poor, delivering us and transforming us. And it's God's grace appearing to man in the person of his son. That sound doctrine of, doctrine of, doctrine of grace will now be adorned and shown through Jesus Christ appearing, which is God's great compassion and love towards us, his chosen. So, not just a divine attribute, but a divine person bringing himself in the incarnation. And, and, and I'll turn to 2 Timothy 1.8 with me. I should have prayed before we started this thing. (laughs) Man, I feel like bombarded by like... (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. uh, Three minutes, Pastor? All right. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our God, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we see that, that again, we see this appearing, Jesus appearing is literally salvation coming down, and the effect of that manifestation was redemptive, not destructive. It's the grace of God that brings salvation. So the four points I was going to make, I was hoping to do this way better. First is God's grace appearing. Secondly, God's grace bringing salvation. The Son, John Calvin wrote, has brought to us salvation from the Father, and the Father has <coughs> bestowed it, salvation, through the Son. Our identity now is in His Son. So we are the brought near to God ones, which puts us in a, it puts us in a very privileged position. Because we are, the, we are brought to God by his, his love and God's mercy. And really, before the foundation of the world, he would send his son for his elect. So I'm looking at men who've been saved before the foundation of the world in the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ was the new, no more shadowy Old Testament with a, looking forward to the Messiah. Here he is in Simeon's arms, mm. sitting before the people, uh, He's, he's saying, now I've seen your salvation, Father. I've seen it. I've seen it before my very eyes. And the perniciousness of sin, the deceitfulness, the sinfulness of sin, the, the deceitfulness of sin, was what Brian was preaching in, the, in that Hebrew sermon, to avoid deceitfulness of sin, encourage one another, as long as the day is called today. And, the, and uh, sin creeps in it. It, it, it creeps in and it, it, it affects our faith. And um, I was thinking of a. Roger sends me these wonderful Puritan, uh, these Puritan sermons. And one was uh, Jonathan's, Jonathan uh, Miller, not our Jonathan. But he says this, 
he sees this beautiful eagle soaring through the sky. And then he sees it land on the edge of a cliff. And then, then after a minute or two, the eagle flies off, and he's, he's soaring through the sky, and, he's, and one wing just starts intermittently kind of flapping, trying, almost like he's trying to, it's like he's disoriented. The bird is trying to, and then, and then it kind of regains composure. And then he flies more, and, and then the other wing starts intermittently kind of flapping, and all of a sudden the, the eagle just stops flapping and goes down. Well, unbeknownst to the bird, when he landed on that cliff, there was a fiery, pernicious, poisoned serpent that attached to the breast of the feathers of that bird, and in midair was bitten, and that poison caused him to fall to the earth. This is a poisonous, pernicious evil that creeps into the church with false. Titus is to bring back the gospel into the church to to develop the church and it's God's grace that that brings us the adjective that brings salvation asserts it's a it's saving efficacy the son has brought us to salvation from the father and the father has bestowed through the son so now the grace of God is the the motivation power for Christian living and the grace is open to all all are invited to come and partake of this benefit of the doctrine of grace grace trains us and instructs us in re- us to renounce ungodliness worldly passions and in the light of God's salvation the righteous work of the Holy Spirit is then an experiential basis for our Christian conduct. God gave himself to purify. This is the conclusion. <laughs> I think this is the worst message I've ever given. <laughs> oh, man. God gave himself for us to purify for himself a people zealous of good works. So with that coming of of Christ and and with that regenerate him regener, regenerating our hearts we become a people holy to God able to uh, walk a walk of faith able to now do those works the Ephesians 2 10 says we were once dead in our sins and trespasses I got caught in mouth I can't breathe <laughs> I'm just a mess man <laughs> but I know this regeneration of the heart the regeneration of the heart. Right? We are able to walk because we were created for good works in Jesus Christ. Amen. And I apologize extremely for that. That was a mess. Hey, someone had to go first. That was just great. Now it's made it easier for you guys. You're my hero, man. Oh, man. That's... Ugh. That was... All right. Well. Well. Don't grade. Just give me an F. And- <laughs>